this morning, if you would, open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 9. This morning we're going to examine verses 1 through 19. Uh, we will first seek the Holy Spirit in prayer. Then we will read the passage under examination. And then finally we will divide the passage, uh, making application as we go. Let us pray together. Your gracious Heavenly Father, we come in need of grace this morning. We need the power of you, God, the Holy Spirit. We ask for you to illuminate the passage to our minds, to inflame our hearts in love toward you, to engage our will, Lord, in obedience. We pray for all the churches that gather in your name this morning. We pray for the church at Yam Hill Christian this morning. Pray that your gospel would go forth in truth and in power. I pray, Lord, for the church at Crossroads this morning, for their unity and for their care for their pastor. I pray, Lord, that as we turn our attention to your word, uh, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to the church this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since we're going to be sitting for a while, if you are able, would you stand for the reading of the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God from Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and to the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has an authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. In taking food, he was strengthened. This is God's word. You may be seated. We all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And without the lens of Jesus Christ... We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Without the lens of Jesus Christ, you see, we don't see the world as it is, but we see the world as we are. We are blinded by human experience. We're blinded sometimes by even our family of origin. We are blinded by sin. What we need is the blinding light of heaven to reveal to us the person of Jesus Christ, to remove the blinders of self-righteousness, to remove the blinders of self-directed autonomy, that we might now see the world as it is. What is needed is conversion. Conversion is needed. A complete, dramatic, drastic change is necessary that we might see the world as it is and not the world as we are. You see, we need to be more than just better. We need to be new. More than better, we need to be born again. We need to be changed to have our affections reordered. This change is possible, but it is only possible by the grace of God. You might remember, and again, I want to emphasize this, we, we might define the title of the book of Acts, as I did last week and previous weeks, as the Great Commission in Action. The book we're studying has been titled The Acts of the Apostles. More aptly in some places, it's been titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit Through the Apostles. But I think more clearly, we see the book of Acts of the Holy Spirit converting souls for the purpose of great commission kingdom work. In today's passage, we see a man blinded by self-righteous zeal. And in his zeal... And in his blindness, Saul has every intention of destroying those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And then in dramatic fashion, we see the power of God from heaven, revealing the person of Jesus Christ, converting Saul. And not just converting him, immediately commissioning Saul to kingdom work. So I want to ask us a question to ponder this morning. I have some answers but I want you to think these through. How would you define conversion? What does it mean to be a converted person? Well, one simple definition might be changed. The question I want to ask this morning is, is change possible, humanly speaking? Societally, people would say that conversion is, is suspicious. That even, even the idea of being changed 
it, if we talk about conversion, that you must be converted, that you must be changed, it is received with suspicion. Because they would believe that change is, is not possible. See, what the world wants to teach us is this, that, that we must believe that our personalities and our various vices are fixed within us. And what makes us a mature person is one who has the ability to accept our personality and adapt ourselves to our fixed circumstances and our fixed sins. We need to just embrace that which we are. To say that you need to change, to say that you must be converted, it is, it is seen like we are offering hope, right? There is hope. Change is possible in Jesus Christ and, and in Him alone. Change is possible. We offer that hope. But the world looks at it and says, the idea that change is possible, it seems manipulative to us in the world. Because in society, we insist that we need only to embrace who we are. You see, because they would say this mantra, I was born this way. How dare you say that change is needed? If we say that change is needed, society looks at us and says, you are saying that I need to hate myself. I need to hate myself. Well, no, I think you need to understand yourself. I think you need to understand one thing that we drop a lot of, and it's a, it's a very simple three-word statement. God is holy. The, the corollary to that is, I am not God is holy. Change is needed. Despite all of this, people have a deep longing for change, don't they? They're living in a world and they find themselves hopeless and defeated because the world says that change can't happen. That you need to just embrace yourself. That change is not necessary. And yet they know that something is fundamentally wrong. Something is fundamentally wrong and change must happen. And so they're hopeless and defeated because they're thinking, well, without change, well, my work and my marriage and my family and my gender and my death are nothing more than a bunch of current choices that, that, are, that are mired in the current condition. And all of these things we just must accept. This is who we are. Well, we need to understand this, that conversion in Christ is real change. Conversion is turning from our self-serving, self-trusting sin to trusting only in Christ to reconcile us to God. See, conversion is God's work. And to understand this, this is what is vital to change. It is vital for a person to understand that you can be changed. But what is vital for you to understand is that this conversion is God's work. 
God does the work of conversion. God must change us. As Great Commission saints, we must understand that conversion is the real need. Conversion is the real need in the world. We must communicate the truth concerning our condition in relationship to God. We must communicate that sin has placed us in debt to God. It has rendered the person, the unbeliever, under the bondage of slavery. It has rendered them blind. They are blinded by sin. And in fact, it says that they're dead. Can a dead person change? A dead person cannot be changed, cannot change. A dead person can be changed. Because I can say fundamentally and 100% true that I was once dead to the things of God. But Christ made me alive to him. I once was dead, but now I live. I once was blind, but now I see. We must communicate the truth that our condition before God is desperate and that conversion is the real need. We must also communicate that conversion is good news. In fact, I say it's not just good news, it's fantastic news. It is great news. In Ephesians 2, it, it reads this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What does God owe us? What does God owe the world? One thing, justice. God owes us justice. If you're not a believer today, don't ask for that. So the Word of God tells us for sure that the wages of sin is death. If you're an unbeliever, don't ask for the justice of God. Don't ask that you get what you deserve. If you ask that you get what you deserve, you deserve justice. And the justice of God says that the wages of sin is death. God owes us justice and he owes no one mercy and grace. It is a necessity to understand the human condition before God that our desperate need is grace. We have a desperate need for God's grace. I come before God empty-handed as a sinner. I contribute nothing to my salvation except for the sin that made his death necessary. I must understand that I am in desperate need of grace. We find that good news 
is so good when we understand just how bad the bad news is. And I think the bad news is just simply this. It's not fire and brimstone. It is God is holy and I am not. I deserve the justice of God. And the wages of sin is death. That is the justice of God. But there's good news. Because with the grace of God, change is possible. In the same passage in Ephesians, the two greatest words in the Bible in verse 4, but God, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. To say that God is sovereign in salvation, in conversion, it does not sit well with the human desire for autonomy and self-direction, does it? To say that salvation is all the work of God, it doesn't sit well. It doesn't sit well with the human desire to be autonomous. To say that God has to act upon me in order to be saved. Surely there's some sort of goodness in me that I could just conjure up and believe and obey and I'll be saved. Surely there must be something good in me. We often see sovereignty of God and the human and human responsibility as antithetical. That is, that we see them as polar opposites. We see them as strange bedfellows. You see, we don't change ourselves. What changes us? The revelation of Jesus Christ by grace. That is what moves us to renounce our autonomy, to turn from self-serving, self-trust, to trust only in Christ to reconcile us to God. Those who call on the name of the Lord sounds like self-directed autonomy. If I just call on the name of the Lord, I'll be saved. That's a work that I did. The truth of that is the other part of that verse in Joel chapter 2 that says really essentially this. Those who call on the name of the Lord are those who the Lord has called by name. God acts. We respond. God changes. God reveals. In Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Those whom the Lord calls will call upon the name of the Lord. So I said all of that to set up the passage. So it was long, but you'll see that I'm making a point here. Let us look closely at Saul's intention here in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. 
But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the account of Saul's conversion is told in three places in the book of Acts. Here in chapter 9, again in chapter 22, verses 3 through 16, in chapters 26, uh, chapter 26, verses 4 through 18. In the other two accounts, we kind of hear of Saul's conversion account according to him. This account is likely Luke recording uh, Ananias' account of the conversion of Saul. As we pick up in verse 1, you might recall that this is picking up where uh, chapter 8 uh, left off discussing what Saul was doing when Stephen was being executed in chapter 8, verse 3. It says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul has continued to make it his mission. He's made it his mission to put an end to this sect that is known as the way. I want you to hear in Paul's own words how he describes his zeal against the church. This is his intention, and it is zealous. Chapter 26, verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. And not only locked up many saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punched them often, punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blasphemy and raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. You see, Paul was convinced of this. I can see clearly that this sect is opposed to God. I can see clearly. And Paul slash Saul had this blinded confidence in himself. A blind, confident pride. Listen to what he says of himself before meeting Christ. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. With great pride in Philippians 3, 3-6. through this is Paul's aim in destroying the church. I can see clearly. I can see clearly. But here it is. What happens to him is he encounters Jesus. Verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. 
And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The light of heaven shined down upon Saul. The voice of heaven was ringing in his ears. God revealed himself to Saul. The heaven-sent light of God in the person of Jesus Christ was being revealed to him. The true light, which gives light to everyone, had come to Saul. The word of God in a voice from heaven, the word made flesh, was heard by Saul. And so it is with all of us who call ourselves Christian. That the light of the world is shown upon our lives. That the voice of God has spoken to us in the Word made flesh in Jesus Christ. So it is with all of us who would believe. In order that any of us might be saved, the light of heaven must be revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. All who are or ever will be converted must be given ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to us through the Word of God. The voice of God, the Word of God, is Jesus Christ. And just what does the voice of God in the person of Jesus speak to Saul? To put it in my own words, Jesus says, the one whom you are against is the God of heaven. You think that you can see clearly that these who are of the way are opposed to God. But it is actually you, Saul, who are opposed to God. It is you who rail against God himself. The heaven-sent Son of God, the one who is both Lord and Christ, the one who is both Savior and Master, it is me whom you persecute when you drag my people to prison and to death. When you oppose people of the way, when you oppose the church of Jesus Christ, it is God whom you oppose. Can that give us confidence when we think about those who would come against us, those who malign us? They're not maligning us. They're not against us. Although we feel the brunt of that, right? They are actually opposed to God. They find themselves in opposition to God. And this is what is happening to Saul. Why are you persecuting me? You find yourself opposed to God. Though Saul could see, he was truly blind. While he was jealous, zealous in the pursuit of pleasing God through the law, his self-righteousness, his self-directed autonomy had blinded Saul to the truth that has been revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will go as boldly as to say that in this moment, the judgment of God was upon Saul. This light that had come from heaven, this voice 
of Jesus Christ saying, why, Saul, are you persecuting me? You find yourself in opposition to the very God of the universe. The judgment of God is upon you. Like John 9, verse 39, it reads this. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see become blind. Under the judgment of God, Saul was blinded by the light of the truth in Jesus Christ. For what purpose? That he might see. He thought he could see, but he was blind. God blinded him that he might see. As we look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house, look for, uh, at the house of Judas, look for a man of Saul, uh, of Tardis, named Saul. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. In Luke's account of the events surrounding Saul that day, Ananias is called of the Lord to reveal to Saul the purpose of God's revelation to him on the road to Damascus. As you can imagine, it would have been difficult for Ananias to think that any good could come through what Saul was doing to the church. That any good purpose of God could come through such a vile, hateful man, a man like Saul. And the fear of Ananias comes right out in verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias here communicates his fear to the Lord. God, this man is evil. This man aims to destroy the church. But the Lord has called Ananias to go to Saul and lay hands on him. What is the purpose of his laying of hands on him is that God would reveal his purpose in revealing himself to Saul. God tells Ananias his purpose in coming to Saul. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of of my name. God tells Ananias, I revealed myself to Saul for three purposes. Purpose number one, to reveal that Jesus Christ is the authority of heaven, that he is both Lord and Savior, that he is the word made flesh, and that it is only through faith in Jesus Christ, Saul, that you can please God. And then in purpose number two, 
Not only am I revealed to him to convert him from darkness to light, from zeal without knowledge to saving faith, but I have purpose to reveal myself to him, to commission him to advance his kingdom. See, when Saul is converted, he is immediately commissioned. Paul tells uh, of this, uh, of his conversion and his commission, and he tells it in his words as having come directly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, as though he had heard it in the voice from heaven. In his account, in Acts 26, beginning in verse 16, says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for appear to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The purpose in revealing himself to Saul was to save his soul, to bring him from dark to light, and then to commission him immediately to be one who would proclaim that truth. That forgiveness of sin is possible. That change is possible in Jesus Christ by grace and through faith. That you can be changed. Well, I would ask us to ponder this. Who among us here are called to be Great Commission saints? My simple answer for us this morning is the converted. Those who have been converted, those who have been changed. Saul was changed and immediately, great commission kingdom work. We have been converted, some of us, maybe for a long time. Maybe for a long time. Maybe we've sat on our hands. Maybe we are convinced that we are great commission saints and we have never once stepped into the obedience of great commission work. It's two possibilities. You're in sin or you're not converted. That would be a question that you might want to ponder in your own heart. Am I in sin? If you are, praise God that He grants repentance and faith to those who confess their sin to Him. He is faithful and just to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Right? Today is the day. Repent and believe. If indeed you say, I am not converted, I have not been commissioned, I have never once really been converted, good news for you too. Because grace and forgiveness can be had in Jesus Christ if you repent and believe. Today is the day. Who among us are called to be great commissioned saints? The converted. For what purpose were we at all converted, any of us? I think for the same purpose we see here in Saul's conversion. You might, though, remember that we are converted for the purpose that is revealed to us in the book of Acts chapter 1. You will be my witnesses. It's not a suggestion. 
It's the truth. You are converted. I, God, Jesus Christ, have ascended to heaven, and I will give good gifts to men, the Holy Spirit. And by His power, you will be my witnesses. Well, what does a witness do? What do all witnesses do? We're, we're in court. And you've called to be a witness. It's only one requirement of you. To tell the truth. It's your job as a witness. Will you tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God? Kind of heard that as you swear the oath as a witness? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And Jesus says you will be my witnesses. What then is a witness? Is a converted person to do? To tell the truth about Jesus Christ. And then He has appointed you. If you are converted, you have been appointed as a servant and as a witness, that is a truth teller, to the things in which you have seen in Him and to those which will yet appear to you. And you are to reveal that truth that you might open someone's eyes. That they might turn from darkness to light. That they might turn from the power of Satan to God. That they would receive in themselves forgiveness of sins. And that they would also find a place like you did among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. If you are not engaged in kingdom work, you are not obedient to the Great Commission. You might ask yourself, am I converted? Have I been changed? Am I still seeing the world as I am? Or has God opened me my eyes and given me the lens of Christ? If you are converted, if you are truly converted, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, if you're truly converted, you have been given a new set of eyes. A new set of eyes to see the world through. To see it as it is. To see it through the lens of Jesus Christ, the authority of heaven, the Word of God made flesh. You see the world through His eyes. He's given you eyes to see. The third purpose that he revealed to Ananias, uh, that Ananias actually revealed uh, in Saul's conversion, uh, is that God will show him just how much he must suffer for sake of the kingdom. And you know what? This promise is not just to Saul, is it? This is a promise to the converted. It's not the one that you put up on your refrigerator as a reminder. It's not the one that you want to... Remind yourself of this is a promise to the converted. Jesus tells us in John's gospel that we, we ought to have peace within ourselves. Peace within ourselves. If we've been converted, we have peace within ourselves because we are at peace with God. Because the next thing he promises the converted and the commissioned is this. In the world you will have trouble. But have peace in yourself because He, 
Jesus has overcome the world. The converted are commissioned. The commissioned are those to whom the kingdom belongs. The kingdom belongs to those who are engaged in the great commission. To be converted is to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. To be converted is to have your darkened eyes open and you see through the lens of Jesus. The attitude of the converted commissioned saints is that the world offers us nothing in comparison to the kingdom that is to come. You know, this attitude is expressed in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they per persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, this is a person who has a, the lens of eternity on, the lens of the kingdom on. They are wearing this lens. They are seeing the world through this end, through this lens. And they say, this world offers me nothing in comparison to the kingdom to come. That's a converted man, a converted woman. In the revelation of Jesus Christ to the churches, the apostle John pens the words of Christ to the churches. And remember, to one church, he gives no condemnation, but he only gives commendation. He says nothing against this church, but he only gives them encouragement. What he writes in Revelation 3, beginning in verse 8, to the church at Philadelphia, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Shall never go out of it and I will write on him the name of God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my new name, he who has an ear, let him hear. We are just to hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to his kingdom. Waiting our great reward. It is the one who has the lens of Christ who just endures, just hangs on. I know you have little strength, but what I commend you for is you've hung on. You've hung on to me with patience. You've hung on to the truth. You've been a faithful witness to me. This is one who has had their eyes opened. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who has appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Saul once had vision. 
But he was blinded by sin, blinded by pride, blinded in self-righteousness. The light of heaven shone down upon Saul so brightly that he became blind that he might recognize physically his spiritual condition. God converted Saul, giving him the lens of Jesus Christ with which he would now have new understanding. To be converted is to have a new understanding, to have a new vision of what righteousness is. To have a new vision that righteousness is found by faith in Jesus Christ, that pleasing God is by grace through faith in what Christ has done. And God removes the scales that Saul would be given new affections, a new mission, a new understanding of the purpose of suffering in this life. Saul was converted and commissioned to declare the glory of God and salvation by grace through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. What have you been converted for and to? Great Commission Kingdom Word. I want to close with the Puritan prayer book in the Valley of Vision. It communicates so well how a converted person has had their eyes opened and put the lens of Christ on that they might fulfill the purposes of God. I'm just going to read you this prayer from the Valley of Vision. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the Valley of Vision, where I live in the depths, but I see in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, and that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime stars can be seen from deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter the stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness. Thy life in my death. Thy joy in my sorrow. Thy grace in my sin. Thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley.